You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast. I am lucky enough to sit down with Mr. Duan Jones, Regional Scout for the New Orleans Saints. Yes, sir. More importantly, most importantly, a University of Richmond alum. Welcome to the show, Duan. Glad to be here, and I'm a proud alum at that. That's Thank you for having me. That's right. That's right. I have a long history with this gentleman. We played together at the University of Richmond. This individual happens to be a very high character individual. He also is a exceptional athlete. Was. I don't know if he still is now. He was. Ooh, I won't get back, though. <laughs> yeah. I promise. And um, we actually played together at the University of Richmond. Yeah. We were fortunate enough to uh, have success at the University of Richmond. But also, later on, we played together in NFL Europe. And I'm going to tell that story again, okay? <laughs> we go to NFL Europe. Uh, it was my second year in NFL Europe, My second after my second season in the NFL. My first season, I was in Barcelona. My second season, I was upset because I was allocated to Berlin, which is much different from Barcelona. That training camp was a bit rough. We had head coach Peter Voss, and uh, he was a great coach, but um, training camp didn't go exceptionally well for myself. However, I did make it into the season, make it into camp. I know Dwan Jones didn't have the best training camp, but I remember talking to him in his room. And do you remember that talk in that room, what, what we talked about? I do. What did we talk about? You know, it was almost that uh, the ultimate belief in yourself. Um, remember the lessons that we learned from Richmond. There were times at Richmond I wanted to quit, give up. Um, Coach Reed, who we're all familiar with, um, his words echo in my head, can't give up, hard work, work ethic, those type of things. and. I was sulking in my room, and in comes a familiar face, Mark Magna, and instantly all those lessons came popping to my head. But, you know, I got together, and eventually we both made the team. Oh, man, and, and did you ever – not only did you make the team, but, <laughs> you know, you know the chips fell with the, where they did, and, and we actually ended up in the World Bowl playing in front of, uh, you know, I don't know if it seemed like 80,000 people it in is. this in, in Amsterdam. We played against the Barcelona Dragons, who had actually stomped us out. Uh, I think it was 55-20 or 55-23. In that game, I want everyone to know that this gentleman, Duan Jones, caught two touchdowns uh, for uh, I don't know how many yards. Do you remember how many yards? Yeah, 161, but who's counting? 161 yards, two touchdowns. He caught the first ball over his shoulder, through the back pylon of the end zone, one of the best catches to this day I have ever seen. I mean, you think Odell Beckham, I think Dewan Jones. <laughs> the second touchdown he caught to win the game, he jumped up between two defenders, caught the ball, came down, went backwards into the end zone for a touchdown. I don't know. I don't remember if he got the MVP, but I will tell you this. Everyone in that stadium knew who the MVP was, and he is the exact reason we won the World Bowl. 
So welcome to the show, Duan, and I'll never forget those moments. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> How can I follow up on that one, though? But now it was good times. It was good having you over there, Mark. Oh, I mean, that, that meant the world, and you're away from home, training camp. We're over in a different country, and we met friends over there that we still communicate with, but, you know, having you there, former spotter, that, man, that meant a lot. Um, I was struggling over there. I don't know if you knew that. I was really struggling bad over there, and uh, my first four weeks of the season there, I just wasn't in it. Um, I was sulking, feeling sorry for myself, and – you know, we had a couple of those talks and turned around by week four, week five, and hey, we had to roll and get a World Bowl, man. Oh, that was it. Was a crazy run. It was a crazy one, which leads me to uh, you know uh, our segue into what you do today. And and you know when you said you were coming by uh, the facility and Adam at twelve twenty, I said this is going to be terrific. And not only do I get to see a, uh, a teammate and longtime friend, dear friend, but also who is now regional scout for the. Uh, New Orleans Saints. Duan, tell us about your job and how you got your job, how you came into uh, uh, the NFL to yeah. be a scout. After um, after Europe, um, you get into that little – after football is over, you kind of get into the, that that place where what do you do with your life. And um, I started – maybe I get a job as a law clerk, and that's what I did for a little bit um, at a buddy of mine's a father's um, law firm. And <laughs> that wasn't for me, and I couldn't cut it. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing was I, I knew I still love football, so I wanted to get into coaching a little bit. So uh, I interned um, in NFL Europe as a coaching intern. I knew coaching was the route I wanted to go. Uh, Peter Voss, our head coach there, um, you know, I, I worked for him. And then the following year after that, I actually became a full-time coach over there in NFL Europe, coach receivers for the Cologne Centurions over there, which was a great experience. In between those two years, since Europe is a summer league, um, I interned for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, a team which I was cut by the previous two years prior to that. And uh, the guy I worked for, Will Lewis, um, a year after that internship, he had a buddy in New Orleans who was hiring. And I interviewed, and two weeks later on my birthday, I got the job. So that's what I, that's how I got the job. And i um, been doing it now, and this is finishing my uh, 11th season wow. uh, with the Saints. 11th season with the same organization. You must have some stories to tell, <laughs> some stories. We're going to ask you about some of those stories. But tell us about the, the uh, I guess, the year calendar for a scout and then uh, what you're doing this time of year. Yeah, so our calendar will begin in August. Uh, most teams uh, begin training camp. More teams report the players are at least last week of July. Scouts will come in probably a week after or a week to three days after the players report. Uh, we'll get our new training camp manual, new philosophies for the year, um, procedures, protocols, whatever. Get our initial school list about where we're going to go, where we're going to scout. And from there, we just set our schedule. Okay, I'm going to be at Alabama the today, on Monday, Auburn tomorrow, you know, Georgia Tech the next day, Clemson, whatever, whatever region you have. Uh, you set that schedule, it gets approved, and off you go scouting. Now, we're probably in training camp for about a week, evaluating our own players um, and probably getting like the um, – what we need to get, basically. I know we're pretty much what our needs are. We scout every single position. Uh, from there, you'll get into uh, September, and that's when you get, that's the heart of college scouting. September, October, parts of November, and that's where, like we're on the road for about 10 days, and then we're home for about three, 10, three, 10, three, and that goes on to about the second week in November where the season's kind of wrapping up, and after that, we're home for about another two, three weeks just finishing watching film, and then December, you have meetings. December, you have meetings. So, and what's it like? You, you're, you're a family man. It sounds like a vicious schedule. You're married. You have three children. What's it like being on the road, being away from them? That must be tough. When I first started, um, it was fun. I was getting into it. Yeah, different hotel every day. But 
Now, um, it's not you know you, you kind of miss the you've missed the family. It's, it's hard to leave every day. So um, basically, my wife is a single parent, uh, pretty much um, a quarter of the year with the three kids. Which man, that is a full time job in itself. And I thank you, Jessica, for your love and patience, um, <laughs> because I don't know if I could do that at all. Now, so when I do see my children, you know, and they think they, have, they still have a father, um, <laughs> I'm home, and I really don't go where, go too many places where I'm home. So I just hang out with them, spend time with my wife, kids, and that's about it. I don't, I don't scout when I'm home. I put my backpack at the front door, and I just pick it up when I leave. So that's basically how my life is. And then the, the best part is we get May, June, and July off as scouts. Okay. So it's like a teacher schedule. So right. sometimes we're off. She's a teacher, so we're off together. So that's the best time. But it's a long way to get there, though. Right. It sounds like a, a really uh, – tough tough go but it does sound like a very cool job when you ha- you know work in the nfl you, you know the best thing about it is I, and I, I think it's with any profession when you're passionate about what you do it's like i don't work it's like so my wife is passionate about she's passionate for me because i'm passionate and that's like infectious to my kids so whenever i leave they're like go find us a good player for the saints and so you know you're into it when you um when your kids actually are getting emotionally involved into your own football games we're like Oh no! I can't believe he threw that pass. I'm not talking about you, Drew Brees, but I know I can't <laughs> believe he did that. But they're really into it. You know what I mean? And that's when you know that they is buy in with their family and kind of makes it special. Especially in '09, we won the Super Bowl. Um, that was awesome. But um, now we're just trying to quest just to get back another ring. So. Right. And, and what's it like working for an organization like that? Because you know you've had some good years, and now you you almost seem like you're rebuilding. Tell us about you know the uh, working for this uh, the Saints franchise. Yeah, we have great leadership with Mickey Loomis, um, Sean Payton. I'm sure everybody knows who he is. Um, now we just hired Jeff Ireland. Those three um, and Dennis Lasha. They give us like the direction of where we're going. I think it's a great group of guys, great men. Um, they let you do your job. There's no micromanaging. Let you do your job. They support you going out on a limb on certain things. They encourage um, you being different. Um, and we're all one team. Uh, it's easy to work for. I think it's probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, franchise in sports uh, to work for. And they allow you to be creative and, hey, allow you to be yourself. So at least for these past 11 years, I've done the same thing and I haven't really changed. So I'm fortunate to work for a great uh, organization. Uh, Understood. Is there, is it like a, some of these uh, organizations, I remember being around Robert Kraft when I was with the uh, New England Patriots. He made you really feel like you were special, even if you were the 53rd man on the roster. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's some really special leaders out there. Is it a family environment uh, playing yeah. with, with the Saints, yeah. uh, being a part of the Saints? Absolutely. So now you'll have two different dynamics. So I'm on the college side, so I'm rarely there in the organization. So I'm there maybe four times a year. Um, and so it's almost like you kind of feel a little detached sometimes. From the team, but they do a great job of incorporating families and kids to come down and be part of the um, of the organization when we watch games or training camp. Um, but I, I think I, I know it is. It's it, they've done a great job. It's 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 um it's a special place. That's why I've been here for the last eleven years. I I couldn't imagine any place better. Awesome. So we're going into the draft. The draft is about a month away or three weeks away. Yeah. Um, three four weeks. Tell us, you know, were there any I'd like to hear, are there any schools, number one, are there any schools that are, I'm going to throw you and them under the bus, right. that are difficult to work with? They're like, oh, man, this this coach doesn't really want us there. He's going to hassle <laughs> us. He's going to big time us. Is there any schools you're like, uh, you got to tell us? Oh, I mean. Can be know, challenging. I would say this. Every school has their ways of doing things. Some mm-hmm. are a little bit more flexible than others. He got out of that one. But at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> great, you say something wrong, they shut you out. But yeah. No, but at the end of the day, look, it, it's it's. 
can you evaluate the players, get information about the players, know who to talk to at the school, and then get in and get out. Um, truthfully, I understand why some schools are the way they are because some, you know, they they're in football, they're in football mode, they don't want distractions. Totally get that. There are other schools that totally sell their programs, so they want you there as much as possible, so they see the kids, so the kids see you, and it gives the kids motivation. So hey, I better do the right thing, or the scouts will know about what I do. So you have just different philosophies about it. But at the end of the day, hey, you got to for us find the right players so we can win games, and for them, they need to eliminate distractions and win games. I, you know, I think it's um, I have great relationships with a lot of these coaches in every school, and hey, if they want to accept their their program the way they want to go, hey. I'm all for. I just roll with the punches. Well, well you, we spoke off the air, and you told us a great story. I'm gonna ask you about that story once <laughs> again. But who who's your favorite coach to deal with? That just a really personable guy that you just love interacting with, and you look forward to seeing him. A favorite program or favorite coach? They really like to interact with those guys. You know, the kids are going to be. Well, maybe that's that's a separate question because maybe the kids aren't always going to be in line yeah. with the with the coach's uh, mindset. Uh, for me, I think one of my favorite visits is going to um, Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald. I think he does a tremendous job of taking of making lemons into lemonade, and I think he is so accommodating to, to scouts. I think he's honest, accessible to us, um, and allow us to come in and out the school when we see fit and works around our schedule. He comes to mind as one of the uh, best guys I've been around and worked with for the last uh, 11 years. He does a great job that program. Well, it's no doubt. Uh, I'm not surprised because he was actually, when I was playing, he was an All-American. And he was a special player. And he got the job only a few years after he finished playing there, yeah, which right. I couldn't believe. Yeah. And uh, he did not disappoint. He's done a good job, and he's still there. He's a great man. Yeah. That's really impressive. So, you know, I, I remember all the testing. So we had the 40-yard dash, right. you had the vertical, the broad, right. all the different tests, the pro shuttle. Do do they do you is the consensus to still place the highest value on the test of all tests, the forty yard dash? No, I, I think um, as a guy I talked to um, Bill Polian, and I'm sure you probably won't remember this conversation I had with him. But it was about three years ago, and he talked about the decision between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. And the the thing I gathered from that conversation was you have to go throughout, you have to just go through the whole process. So from film to interviews, to all-star games, to the combine, and to the individual workouts, to the you know the private workouts, whatever, medical exams, go through the entire process. So is there a big emphasis on the 40-yard dash? I think for the guys who really can evaluate and make great decisions, no. I think it's just a piece of the puzzle. I think if you overemphasize that number, then I think you're, you're going to run into problems. But for that, no, it's a piece of the puzzle. Personally, I don't put that much weight in the 40-yard dash. Mm -hmm. I go, what you do on the field? Mm-hmm. What what did you do on the field, and do you, do you ever see uh, how often do you see an athlete not run a uh, a great time, but he actually ends up being a very good player? Often, you do. I think yeah. you see that. I think that's more common. But now with all these training facilities, it's like everyone's running like fast, and it's like it kind of almost dilutes it a little bit. It's like man, hey, he ran fast, but he doesn't play that way in the field. So I still think if, if you win in doubt, always go back to game film. It's true. You, you know, and uh, I always say, you know, you could say looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane, performs yeah. like Tarzan, plays like Jane. Yep. And I remember coming out, we didn't have any of these performance facilities. We would go, uh, you know, a few teammates, Winston, October, myself, we would get out on the air on that turf. We would go through all our technique. And that was our prep. And we did, you know, pretty well. We did well and with no help. And imagine with, like, you know, Performance Center or a world-class performance coach, it would have been really special. How often uh, or 
how much stock and how much value do you place into the conversations you have with the players? Because you talk to these players. I think that's critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you need to talk to them as much as possible. I think you need to ask them questions that aren't scripted. Because these, co- these kids in these training facilities coach these kids on interview questions. And they try to tell you the right thing. You know, no, I've never done anything. No, I'm a hard worker, blah, blah, blah. But, no, I think what you need to do is you really need to pull these kids aside and just talk to them. Let them talk about themselves. Because, trust me, kids will talk about themselves. They're good at it. And so just let and just see what their mindset is, what their thought process, thought process is, how they handle adversity and problems. But, no, I think the interview portion of the postseason I think is huge. Okay. Do you put them? Do you do you paint a picture for them? Do you put them in scenarios? Do you play? Uh, you know, hey, you're in this situation. What do yeah. you do? You do that? Yes, you have to because that's a that's a non scripted answer because then right. you, you catch you catch them off guard. Right. And so I want to see how they re- think on their feet. And if they've been in any trouble, they've gotten any hot water uh, during season, off season, or throughout their collegiate career. Do you ask them about it? Oh, usually happened? you'll know the answer to that question already. I just okay. want to see if they'll lie about it. Oh wow. You know. So then you'll ask them about this incident, and then they'll be forthcoming and explain it, or they won't, and then I think you'll have your answer there. Okay. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, – right now going through this process, you're visiting schools, you're doing pro days. Yeah. You, you mentioned the University of Miami mm-hmm. and uh, today and tomorrow you're going to uh, FAU. FAU. Yeah. Throughout this tour, have you seen any exceptional performances that you just walked away going, wow, that was impressive? Even if he couldn't play on the field, or that doesn't matter. Just performances with the testing. You know what I will, and not not to be a homer here, but today the University of Miami, I'm going to give an A-plus to all those kids performing today. They ran in a monsoon today. And some of those kids ran fast. The DBs were were competing when it was – they were drenched. It was pouring rain in their face. And some of them actually managed to catch the football today. So, for me, anybody that competed today at University of Miami, you're getting a double-plus for me in my notebook on that one. Because that was – it was impressive. And it showed, like, mental toughness, fortitude, because it was easy to quit weight and wait till it's sunny and all and dry. But those kids performed their hearts out today. Um, but specifically to your question, any individual performance that wowed me? Um, it's funny. We mentioned training facilities. Everybody runs a 4-3. Everyone yeah. runs a 4-4. Four, four. Everyone's jumping 37. Everyone's jumping, you know, broad jumping 10-4. Wow. <sighs> I remember the 4-3. If someone runs a 4-3, they're at the top of this draft I'm, stock. I'm timing 4-3s like every other day. Wow. Like it's not nothing wow. unusual anymore. Wow. I get amazed when I'm on time of 4-2. Now, that's still rare. But does that ha- how often does that happen? Ooh. Does it happen every year, every other year? Uh, I timed a couple four twos today this year, and then uh, the year before I think Tavon Austin I had it a four two. Wow. Um, so that's not as much, but the four threes and four fours, yeah, that's that's flying. Like drinking water. That's flying. Yeah. That's incredible. Now tell us, you you eleven years, eleven years uh, scouting. You've seen a lot. You have tons of stories. <laughs> was there ever a time you were at a smaller school, or you know there was a uh, what did we call it? Someone that was under the radar, but you they turned out to be like a, a diamond big in the rough, diamond in the yeah. rough baller, and you were like, "Wow, I found that guy." Yeah, I told Mark this story earlier, but um, both these guys. But um, I think being at Richmond and being at these one double FCS schools, uh, D two and AIA schools, I think you always had that chip on your shoulder about, "Hey, I've been overlooked, under recruited." And so I always carry that chip on my shoulder going for scouting. So if I go to small schools, I'm like, hey, I want to really give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I'm really going to sit here and try to figure out something about what he can do. It's easy to figure out what players can't do. I think it's hard to say, hey, just tell me what the kid can do. So this happened, I want to say, about ooh, six years ago. And uh, I was scouting the Midwest at the time. 
and I was driving through um, Ohio. I remember specifically, I was like, you know, God, can you help open my eyes up so I can see? Because I think part of a scout that makes a great scout is vision, clarity of, of his mind, and I think the conviction of his of his um, of his thoughts. So I go through a small school called Tiffin. I never heard of Tiffin. It's, a, it's in the GLIAC. It's a Division two school, um, and they had a transfer from Washington State. His name was Chris Ivory, and Ivory only played in four games and got hurt on his fourth game. Only had three hundred, I want to say three hundred forty yards rushing, and uh, I think he had ACL or meniscus, one of those two. And it was a couple of runs he made, and I was like, man, you know what? This guy got some – he's six foot, 220 pounds. Like, That's pretty impressive. And then his head coach came in just talking all high about him. I mean, like, this Chris Ivory, he can play, he can play. And half of me, I was like, I know he – I agreed with him. He had some issues at Washington State, nothing major. But I figured, you know, I, I, would, I would want a second chance in life or a second shot. So, hey, I'm going to give this kid one. So I uh, wrote the report up, had a draft grade on him, and, the, you know, the rest of the fall, you know, keeps going on. So we get to draft meetings, and when you get in draft meetings, they get kind of long. And so we're at the last running back that on our board. His name was Chris Ivory. So I'm like, oh, yeah, this Chris Ivory guy, I kind of remember him now. And I just went on my report. I thought the kid could play. Um, <clears throat> so we signed him. A, so at the end of the draft, he is, we need an undrafted running back. To, you know, we, have, we brought in two undrafted running backs. One of them was going to make our team. So I called Ivory, and we were the only team to offer him, which I was like, oh, man, that's usually not a good sign. Usually you want to be competitive with other teams. Hey, I beat the 49ers, or I beat the Giants, or I beat so-and-so for this player. So we were his only offer. I was like, okay. So um, I saw I had to stick with my convictions, but I said, hey, this is what I saw. So that training camp, Ivory has this amazing run. and You can Google it against San Diego. I mean, he balled. And he made the team. So he uh, he was our, he, that year he led us in rushing. I think he had 720 yards rushing, five touchdowns, but then got hurt. I think, and then a the year later, a year or two later, we drafted Mark Ingram, and then we traded Ivory for a fourth-round pick to the Jets. This past season, Ivory led the AFC in rushing. He made the Pro Bowl and got a pretty big money from Jacksonville. So when you see things like that, I'm like, you know what? I can scout this game. And every time I have doubts about myself, about what I'm seeing, I always reference back to players like Chris Ivory and another guy like Kasim Adabali out of Boston College who I signed. And um, you just think about successes that you've had. And um, you know what? You just kind of say, you know what? I can do this. I can scout. But Chris Ivory probably was probably one of my biggest uh, finds as a scout so far. Interesting. That's a great story. You know, it's always great to see someone from a small school make it because – you know, they all have potential, but it's how far and how much effort they're willing to put into it, right? That and the evaluator giving them patience and time. Right. Because sometimes you're so dismissive. Oh, Tiffin. Well, Tiffin's on my way to Ohio State. So okay. I'm thinking about Ohio State, not Tiffin right okay. now. You have to give each player their due and their due, their due time and proper evaluation. It's interesting you, you even have to say that, but that's a reality, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, not, not every scout is going to give the time of day to these kids. It's just not that's just not the way it is because there's too much to scout. And in their defense, there's a lot to do. And we're so quick to label. Okay, that's the other problem. We're always quick to label. We always say small school, so you're always going to think, okay, late round. Oh, he has upside, he's developmental, or eh, level competition. Like it's like it's his fault who he plays against. Right, you know right, I mean? right. So um, I just think you have to you have to go with open mind and clarity of mind. Awesome. Are there any, maybe tell us a story, not mentioning the individual, or just give us some information regarding, are there any, like, red flags you just see, like, wow, this this is a problem. There's no way I'd put my name on this kid. He could be a great athlete. He could test out extremely well, but there's, there might be something. What is that red flag? You're like, you know what, we don't take a chance on something like this, or I'm not taking a chance on something like this. I think it's, you can excuse a mistake. We all mm. want a second chance. That's cool. 
But it's the repetitive nature of mistakes, though. It's like our children, though. You keep telling them over and over again, don't touch the oven. But, man, look, sometimes you just got to let them burn. Right. And I don't want them, you know, and sometimes you want a player on a second contract and not the first contract. Because the first contract, you're like, hey, you know, maybe he's proven himself and then maybe you can pay him then. Or, conversely, hey, get him on the first one and don't pay him on the second one. Mm-hmm. The guys who have really major uh, character issues. Um, it's just, can you, do they learn from the mistakes? If they don't, then the player's telling you what they are and what to expect. They just, people don't necessarily change. They say, hey, money changes you and all that stuff. It, money never changes you. It just reveals really what you already are. You just have a bigger platform now. Right. right. Do, you, uh, do, you, do you have any interaction with players that, um, you know, you put your name on, they ended up doing well? Do you yeah. have any interaction? Uh, like you, the, the Chris Ivory, yeah. you know, you saw him later and he said, well, you told me off air, what, what did you see in me? And you said you saw a few things, you saw a few bursts, and you just knew. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about that. You know that it was almost intuitive like you knew something but you couldn't explain it yeah it's i don't know it's like i kind of um it's kind of like when i met my wife and after our third date i knew i wanted to marry her and all my friends thought i was crazy um i just knew right it, it just clicked and so it's um it's just um we were talking off air about uh malcolm gladwell in that book blink it's like when you've done when you've been in something so long and it actually, I think if you're good at it, then all of a sudden it just speaks to you and calls you and you just say something ain't right or this, it feels this way. You just know and it's hard to explain. So when you saw a guy use Ivory as an example, you just saw a few moments and runs like, man, this guy can play. If he can stay healthy, this dude can really play. People look, look at you sometimes like you're crazy because so many people, we're so quick to judge people and we're so quick to, we're just so quick to label. It's like, and they say, well, how do you know? How do you know? Look, bro, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, this isn't a hobby. It's my profession. I take pride in what I do. And I will say this, and I know you didn't ask this question. If I'm going to admit my hits, I got to admit my, I have to admit my misses too. Nice. I'll tell you one of my biggest misses now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Le'Veon Bell. Wow. <laughs> I did not see that one coming. Wow. And now I feel like, you know, you look like the biggest idiot in the NFL because he's the best back, you know, when right. healthy in the, in, in the league. Right. So you have to take, you have to take both of them. So, what didn't I see in Le'Veon? And my problem with that is I didn't give that the full process. I just I didn't I didn't allow his workout was impressive, but I, I was so stubborn I didn't let that change my view my opinion of him what I felt about him in the fall. Okay. So to me, it's going through the full process, and that's with everybody. You know they you know so I think you have to give everybody their full due, and that's a lesson I learned as a scout. So right. take all that, and mm-hmm. that's what makes you great sometimes. Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting. You know I. I I remember guys used to do crazy things like, you know, not mentioning any names. Guys would put lifts in their socks when they, yeah. or they, they, they strap <laughs> yeah. weights to their waist. Yeah. Have you ever heard of anything like that or seen anything like that? Oh, and you they, catch guys doing yeah, that? Yeah, they try. They try to uh, sneak with their shoes on for their heights. You know, when they try to vertical, they try to um, have their shoes off when you try to get their reach, then put their shoes on to, get a, to gain an extra two or three inches. They try. Yeah. I, I don't blame them. Yeah. Hey, I, I appreciate it. You know? Well, you know what? You know why? Because when we get our heights done, I mean, if I appear to be six one, six two, when I go in there, I come out five ten. Uh, yep. So, and and it's funny because they, you get inflated in high school, you, you get inflated in college, and then in the NFL, you get knocked back. We down. shrink you. Yeah, yes, you shrink. NFL. Yes, we do. And, I mean, there's guys that were bigger in high school in the NFL now they're smaller. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's BS, but that's the way it is, I guess. Uh, Do you have any other stories that come to mind that you just, you know, you, you got to tell a, a story? I remember one time a scout I read in Sports Illustrated. There was no 
area or space to test this scout and the scout measured out 40 yards in the hallway of a hotel and he timed wow. someone right down the hallway of a hotel and he said if someone would have walked outside their room while this kid was running the 40 he was a six foot 230 pound fullback he would have killed him are there wow. any stories like that do you have any stories like that where you uh, just improvise and try to adapt and overcome the, the situation. Yeah, I know I keep mentioning Northwestern here. So we the vertex broke one year, and um, I forgot the running back who was jumping. Ah, it escapes me right now. I'll think about it later. But um, anyway, we had to uh, chalk jump him in the hallway. So he had to put chalk on his fingers, get his height or get his reach by putting a little mark on the wall, and then he'd jump, and then we had to get like a measuring tape to measure the difference, and that was his vertex. Nice. So we had to do that. I remember that. Um, That's nice. And then at Richmond, the vertex – one of the things broke, so I had to get a wrench to adjust it, hold it as they did as they jumped. So that happened like three three years ago. So that was a good one. But those are my only two stories that come to mind right now. I like it. Uh, uh, how about when you you gather all the information and, and you also mentioned this? You said, you know, some guys take incredible notes, some guys don't take as many notes. But you're a thought, uh, a vision guy. Yeah. Do you ever get in those meetings when all the scouts gather at the big table and you start talking about guys? Like I, I equate it to the scene in. Uh, Moneyball, when they're all talking about talent, <laughs> and you get a bunch of older guys. Do you ever get catch flack for your opinion? Do you guys battle it out in there? How does that go? No, nah, I wish it was as dramatic like that in draft meetings. It really isn't. I think people, we say our piece. Everyone says their opinion. We talk about it. One guy will sum, sum up the player who's usually your uh, director, who's usually the college director or director of player personnel, GM or head coach, whoever it may be, will sum up the final opinion of the player you have a chance to disagree, but once he's summed up, it's it's pretty much done. It's like when the decision's made, then it's like, okay, it's made. And it's like, okay, let's move on. Right, now, right, you right. have to pick and choose your battles because I can't battle every decision and player. Right. Um, but I think, I think this, from when it matters the most, I think you need to speak your mind and say your piece because you never want to go into a season saying, you know what, this guy stinks. But I, I don't want to hear that from a scout. You should have said something in the meeting. Then. Right. You know, don't cry about it now, tough guy. Right. Say it now in the meeting and don't be scared to. Yeah, you got to voice your opinion, yeah. right? Do you guys encourage that? Speak up now. We do. Yeah, we do. Um, we encourage it. Um, I, I, and this is just for a scouting our scouting community. I think oftentimes. Um, we need to do it more in terms of speaking up and stating mm -hmm. our opinion. Now, we don't make decisions, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think you need to be heard, though. Right. Right. And you know, how many scouts, how many, how, uh, about how many, do teams differ on the number of scouts they'll retain, or is there an average? Generally speaking, you'll have five area scouts, two guys that split the country, one director. Uh, that puts you at eight. That's on the college side. And then I think on the pro side, you'll usually have three pro scouts. Wow. So you have eight guys to cover the entire country with schools. Essentially, yes. So you have to go to every school? How does that? How does that work? What I do, I I will go to all the big schools in my half of the country. Okay. Um, the area scouts pretty much will go to mostly every school. You know, if you have a heartbeat and you can play, there will be a scout there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, I, I have uh, just a few more questions for you while we're you know trying to monopolize your time. <laughs> Duan, what is well? My first question. There's a lot of individuals that we actually came through the ranks with that are actually in the NFL. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Joe Douglas at Chicago Bears. Yep. Uh, Sean Gustis. Sean Gustis with the Rams. Uh, we have Coach Joe Cullen, who's actually a coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Correct. We have Todd McShea, yep. who is the head with Mel Kuyper for uh, draft guru. Draft guru. Yep. Do you ever converse with these guys and ask, like, swap opinions? Like, hey, what do you think of this guy? 
Um, because like let's like let's face it, Todd McShay. I mean, I I know Todd very well. You know him very well. I mean, let's face it. I think Todd really knows what he's doing. I mean, this guy lives it, breathes it. It's important to him. I would say this for all these guys. They put in the work. Right. Um, they're oftentimes we'll we'll just mess with each other. And we'll talk players, talk shop. But yeah, I, I think there is. Um, you know, I think it's um, it helps keep us on our toes. Um, obviously, we're not going to exchange notes about who you guys are drafting and mm-hmm. all that stuff. We don't get to all that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, we'll talk about players usually during the summertime, and we'll just say compare notes about that certain plays that we had, where we had them, why we had them there, um, where we missed, where we hit, um, and then going forward. Because I think you know, like anything, iron sharpens iron. Right. And I think I respect those guys' opinions. I think they're great men and excellent what they do. So yeah, I think it makes you better your profession. Right. If there's one piece of advice that you could give uh, up and coming athletes who, you know, uh, they, they their dream is to be in the NFL, what would you tell them? Don't prevent yourself from winning. I think there are a lot of guys who are talented, but there are more guys who will sabotage their own success. Um, there's no substitute for hard work. I'm not trying to be a cliche here, but really work as if you're working into the Lord. Work as if someone else is trying to take your job work as if your life depended on it work as if you know really and be passionate about what you do you know don't work don't try to don't make getting paid an end goal of of being a pro athlete you know that's part of it don't get me wrong it's an important piece you got to take care of your family and yourself but strive to be great i think when you strive to be great at any profession i think the money will come just don't don't chase the money don't do that chase chase being great that's what i would tell them Right, and you say that the way that's coming off, uh, those words are coming out. It sounds to me like, you know, it may be more challenging than you would think to find athletes who understand what actual hard work is. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think they under. I think they hear the. I think they love the idea. They they love the idea of it. Of the posting of the beast mode yes. or tough, and then it comes time to do it. It's a little different story because I think they have to get out of their own selves, not be so sensitive at times push themselves be challenged i think that's what it's lacking with a lot of guys the ability to be challenged and not take it personal Mm -hmm. um and just hey just and just accept coaching and respect authority Mm -hmm. how did you learn what real hard work actually is and i spoke with you know my good friend randy west and, and we discussed this and he actually came up with the question because he said you know, when he was in high school, he was thought he was working incredibly hard, working outworking everyone. And then he got to the University of Richmond, and we were like, well, we really haven't been working that hard. Like, this is hard work. And that, you know, I share the same story, the same feeling. When did you start to understand what actual hard work is? Yeah, uh, Randy asked an outstanding question. Um, when I got to the University of Richmond, um, I, I just knew I had to work. I didn't know what hard work really meant. Um, being introduced to Jim Reed taught me hard work. And I, here's my, my definition of it. It's, it's, you, everyone can work out and work out hard, and you can work out to exhaustion. That, that's fine, and you can't push yourself anymore. But really, it's the consistency day in, day out of doing that one thing. It's really when you wake up every day and say, you know what, and you wake up and say, I got to do this, this, and that, and I don't feel like doing that. The thing you don't feel like doing, you probably need to do. Because that's probably that hard, uncomfortable thing for you to do and push yourself past that. That's really hard work. And really, and a lot of the other half of it is, it's the mental preparation, mental hard work of it. It's like sometimes you got to really mentally prepare yourself to do something. And that's hard. It's really mentally exhausting. Um, that's when I really, really was introduced with Coach Reed and pushed me past my comfort zone, you know, 
physically, yes, is one thing. I can recover. I can drink a shake. I can be fine the next day. But it's the mental part where I had to overcome some hurdles. And to me, I think that's the part that's probably least emphasized with um, young guys and people in general is the, is the mental aspect of it, of the consistent approach of you doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Like, it's just that because it's the one time when you're like, you know what, I'm good. Oh, I'm going to chill. I'm going to lax is when I think the work, I think is when you sabotage yourself. So that's why I learned at Richmond. It's, um, it's, it's, I got credit Coach Reed and a lot of things about Coach Reed I did not like, you know, because I, I was tough for me, but it's what I needed at the time. And I, and I I really thank him for that. But that's pretty much my definition of it. It's just the consistent approach of you doing it day in, day out. And it's probably the one thing that the things in life that we don't feel like doing is probably what you need to be doing. So my daily checklist, I'm like, oh, man, today I need to, you know, walk two miles like Mark told me. I need to get moving. I don't know. It's that I don't know or I want to sleep extra. It's like, nah, get out of bed, walk, man, because that's where it starts and consistently do that. So. Right. Um, how do you how do you how how did you how do you remember you snapping yourself out of it like you you have this mental warfare we talked about these games where listen i'm gonna be real honest personally it, it wasn't easy to overcome there were a lot of times i cursed my coaches i hated them i wanted to quit i wanted to give up i love to tell you i never wanted to give up and quit but i did and it was frustrating and i got pissed and how did you overcome those mental hurdles um it was pretty simple for me. So I'm going to use college as an example. So it's easy. People are so easy to quit. Oh, I'm going to transfer. I didn't have any options. I think when I hit rock bottom, I was like, you know what? My, my mom was like, well, I don't have the money to pay for college, and you're not going to go anywhere. So you're going to figure this thing out. And I think when I hit rock bottom, I had no other options. I was like, you know what? I got to figure this out. I knew that fighting the problem wasn't going to be it. I had to embrace it. And once I started embracing it, it's when I started to get better and grow. And it's those life lessons that I take in every single day. It's like you wake up every day. It's like it's, it's similar to this. It's like every day a gazelle has to wake up that it has to be faster than the slowest lion. Okay, cool. It survives. But, man, the lion has to eat that day, and it has to be faster than the slowest gazelle. So it's a matter of which you want to be in life. Do you want to be eaten or do you want to flee? To me, personally, you know what I mean? I'm going to eat. So I'm going to be faster than the slowest gazelle every single day. You know, because if I'm not, then someone's going to come and try to eat me. So right. it's, it's either going to be, if it comes between me and you, it's going to be me. And so with hard work, and if you have a goal, you want to pursue it, all that stuff, um, if, you really, if you really want it, then nothing's going to deter you from it. So that's, that's how I approach it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's in all fields, by the way. Um, the other, Joe Cullen. Joe Cullen. Joe right. Cullen that's is, right. he was my defensive line coach at University of Richmond, been all over in college in the NFL we know him to be a very uh, respected defensive line coach, mm -hmm. extremely passionate. Yep. I always compare Joe Cullen to the character in the movie Whiplash. Yeah. Very yeah. hardcore, right? And people yeah. don't believe me, that's, and I'm saying he, right, he makes the guy in Whiplash look soft. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. do people understand who this guy is? Do you hear stories about him? Do people say, oh, oh, I know Joe Cullen? I have to ask you that. I ask everyone who interacts in the NFL because he's at the Combine, right? Yeah. He's... Snapping that ball in the stick, yeah, I and think, he's screaming at everyone. I think everybody knows of Joe Cullen, of Joe Cullen. I don't think a lot of people know Joe Cullen. Uh, the Joe Cullen that I knew at Richmond, obviously he didn't coach me, but um, that's one passionate individual who loves football. Um, I think he, I think he's a sincere man at heart. I really believe that he loves the players that he coaches, and he has your best interest at heart. Right. Um, I, there's no reason why he. There's no secret why he he's had the success that he's had so far um, in the NFL and obviously in college. But 
I respect Joe Cullen tremendously because just looking at him from afar, I saw what he did for you, Mark, and kind of push you and play those psychological warfare games with you. <laughs> you know, but the end result is you're looking like you're looking at a three time All American, three time All Conference guy, mm-hmm. a guy who got drafted in the NFL, a guy who's a success- successful husband and business owner. Yeah, good job, Joe Cullen. You did a good job. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about that a lot. I'm not so sure we understood it then, but we understand no, it now. not at all. <laughs> right. Why am I doing this? Why am I going through this? Exactly. Why do I hate myself? But uh, thank you. The last question, what is your, I guess, uh, most memorable moment uh, in this field in your 11 years where you said, wow, man, this is special? Do you, do you have one moment, an aha moment where you just remember anything anything that you could share with us that is really close and to your heart yeah it it would be um um there's two moments but the first being the nfc championship game we played the vikings uh we drove down from senior bowl to watch that game um that's the one where brett Favre threw across his body tracy porter picked it off it set us up um to go to overtime we won overtime and we were on the field after we after garrett hartley kicked the field goal uh, to take kick us to the Super Bowl, it was just a surreal feeling. Just looking at the crowd, we were on the field. It was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. We got to the Super Bowl. All right, cool. Surreal feeling. Never been that far. Obviously, we won it when Tracy Porter again uh, picked off Peyton Manning. It was like, wow, you're actually a Super Bowl champ. That's pretty cool. Um, like the same ring that uh, Drew Brees got for his ring is the same ring that I got and all the other scouts and support staff got. And it's like, wow, wow this is um, hmm, wow. I'm pretty <laughs> humble. I still, I, I'm still humble to this day. Um, the last story would be, I know we, we've beaten up Chris Ivory a lot in this story, but that story meant a lot to me because it's like, you know what, um, it's one thing that you can hang your hat on and one thing that you're kind of proud of the success that he's had. You almost feel like he's like your son and you're proud of the things he's accomplished, but it also gives you inspiration saying, you know what, I want to do this for other kids. Um, I want to refine my craft. Um, I'm still passionate about what I do. Um, I'm just, and I just thank God for putting me in a profession that I love doing because then you're really not working. So amazing stuff, really. And, uh, you know, being a part of that, being a part of the winning, being part of the Super Bowl, you're, you're the building blocks of that of that franchise and you and the other scouts in the front office and, and everyone, all the support staff, the equipment staff, everyone has such a key role. That's why yeah. these Fortune 500 companies bring in these coaches. You know, you don't see, you know, a lot of the Fortune 500 company people go speak at teams, but you see the teams and the coaches go speak at the Fortune 500 companies because they're very like-minded individuals and they understand their roles, their value, and they understand how important it is to keep everything going smoothly, right? Yeah, it's no no question about that. And one of the last things is I think what we lack, I think, in this country, I don't care what your political, you know, affiliation is with anybody, but I think the overall thing I think everyone can agree is we lack good men in this country and in the world. That's what we lack. And so I think that's our jobs as, um, as I, I guess, whatever, scouts or, or uh, not really scouts, but as, as men and, you've, and mentoring young kids is that teach them to be better men. It's not trying to accomplish something. It's really be better men. And I think from there they become better fathers and uh, they become better husbands, and then you have a stronger community, and then therefore, after a stronger community, you get a, a stronger country. Um, wow! So I think that's really wow. where my passion is. Really, I think at the end of the day, um, I want to coach high school football. I think that's right. I think that's where it, it, it begins. Really, there. That, that's, um, that's, so hopefully, Lord willing, I can get into that, and um, that's what I would love to do. That was a powerful statement. Really, thank you for that, because we do need more. 
you know, you need to break it down even further. Good quality people, no good question. quality men, and uh, men who treat, you know, other men well, treat each other well, treat uh, women well, and just go on to set a high standard and a very positive example in the community. Yeah. So absolutely, and as you said, high school. I think you'd be a phenomenal high school coach. Oh. I know that. I know you would. And yeah. that's kind of where it starts. That's the grooming, it right? You're, you're you're planting seeds. And my high school coach, uh, Bob Bogan, was special. And I remember a lot of the talks that we had then. Yeah. So that that could that would be a really special thing. Where would you coach? <laughs> what state? Pick a state. Oh man, oh. Texas. Ah, oh, you know what? I have to go, and I would have to go back home. I have to go back to the you know DC public schools. You know I think Ooh. there's not a lot. Of, it's it's the it's the it's a weird thing saying that because they're underfunded, underappreciated, and that's where the need is. It's right. easy to go to these county schools of resources. Awesome. Go where the needs at. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Duan, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I meant the world to me. Having me. Thank you uh, so much. Please, you know. Our friendship uh, will last a lifetime, and uh, <laughs> really, yeah. I'm going to be bothering you for all kinds of Saints gear. It better be in the mail. It's by coming. The way. It's coming. I got you, man. Awesome. Please say hello to the family, and thank you once again. Appreciate you guys.